0: Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. morning. It's good to see everyone here today. We've got a good group. Good to see all of you here. We appreciate you being here, and we hope you will always know that you have a home here at Lindsley Avenue. When you think of the month of February, a couple of things come to mind. Uh, Last year at this time, I believe uh, presented a lesson on Black History from the Bible. This is Black History Month. And that's a very important uh, thing for all of us to be aware of, all of us to remember. February is also very, very well known, of course, for the day that occurs in the middle of it. Yes, Valentine's Day. So it has a, an aura, if you will, a connotation and association of the month of February does with love. For all I know as well, given this opening slide, uh, February may also be National Scrabble Month. I'm not sure, but uh, I think if you add those up, uh, it turns out to be a score of eight. So love may be perhaps the most important thing, but it may not be the best scoring word you can play. So I want to talk just for a few minutes this morning on what does the Bible say about love. The verse that Howell read for us from 1 Corinthians 13, 13, which Miss Betty told me is her favorite verse, one of her favorite verses. It says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So let's talk, first of all, what is faith? If faith, hope, and love are, are left in the context of what Paul's talking about, what are we talking about with faith? Faith means we are certain of the things that we hope for, and we're convinced of the things we don't see. You know, there's a lot of things that we just don't see. No one has ever seen God. It is by faith that we know God is real and that God exists. And so it is the conviction based on evidence of things that we just don't see yet faith. It's not some blind leap. It's not some, well, I guess I'll believe this anyway. But it's a quiet confidence of things that we just don't see yet. A quiet confidence. Paul says our faith will go away once we see, once we encounter God, you won't be believing in God so much because in terms of faith, this definition of faith, it'll be a a reality, staring us all in the face. And so when Paul says that faith will go away, he means once we see face to face, face to face, there won't be any need for the definition here of faith. You know, as we say here, right? Being certain of things we hope for and convicted of things we do not see. But when we are right in front of God, you won't need faith by that definition because God will not be something that you cannot see. You will be in God's presence. So faith will go away once we, in fact, meet God. What about hope? Faith, hope, and love. What about hope? The Christian hope is belief in the spirit against the senses. I want you to think about it. The senses say, take what you can touch and taste and handle and enjoy. If you're old enough, you may remember a TV commercial that used to show up during football games. This will date me, I know, but it would say, go for the gusto. <laughs> Anybody remember that, go for the gusto? Yes, it was for a beverage. But the whole idea was, you only go around once, you might as well go for what you can get now. If that's really the entire temptation that the devil presents to all of us, to the world. This God that you heard about that you can't see, forget about him and go for what you can see. Go for what you can taste and touch and handle and enjoy. You only go around once, right? The senses tell us to grasp the thing of the moment, the most beautiful person to have walked past in the last month or week or day. But the spirit tells us there's something beyond the here and now the christian believes in the spirit rather than the senses the christian follows the spirit rather than the senses if there really is one defining difference between followers of jesus and those who don't know jesus that has to be it someone that does not know jesus can't possibly be following really after the spirit because they don't know the spirit. All they know is they hear it now. What's really sad is when we see someone who says, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, but they continue following and chasing after the senses. That's where we get off track if we are in fact members of God's family. The Christian hope is belief in the future. Against the present. Belief in the future. Hope for the future. Instead of the present. Right? It's hope looking forward to what we will receive compared to these rather in some ways pitiful things we might have here at now. And Paul also says that once that future is here that hope will be realized. Imagine Christmas Day as a kid, as a child. You might have said a day or two before Christmas, boy, I sure hope I'll get a bicycle, a hamster, a doll, I don't know, whatever we may have asked for or wanted as kids. I sure hope I get a bicycle. So you're hoping a day or two before Christmas to get something, right? It's in the future. Imagine Christmas afternoon and the bicycle is over here against the wall. Probably not being used as much as you thought you might have wanted to use it. On Christmas afternoon, would you say, I hope I get a bicycle? No, because it's here already. Hope will have disappeared into reality. And so when Paul says that faith and hope will, in fact, eventually go away, it's because the future will be here. Faith will go away when we are in God's presence because you won't need faith anymore. You'll have actuality. You won't need a confidence in things you don't see because you will see. You'll be in the presence of God. Hope will go away because it will be realized. And I think that, that, to me, the best example I can give is the bicycle leaning against the wall Christmas afternoon. You're not hoping for a bicycle anymore because it's here. Love, on the other hand, will continue. Because even though faith will become sight, even though hope will become realized when the future is here, love is the one that's going to remain. and That's why the greatest of these in many ways is love. So what does the Bible say about love? The first thing I want us to think about today, hopefully we'll remember, is that love is sacrificial. Love requires sacrifices. We know this from practical experience. Selfishness is usually not associated with love. If you've ever uh, perhaps tried to woo a guy or a girl, ever gone out on a date, one of the worst date outcomes you can have is when that other person does nothing but focus and talk on themselves and talk about themselves. They're obviously very self-centered in that regard. And that's not going to be a very good relationship to get into if things were to progress further. Many times that's a one-date outcome, when somebody is not sacrificial and is only focused on themselves. Being selfish is in many ways the opposite of love. When I'm focused on me, perhaps I love myself, but I'm not gonna love much of anything else. Love has to be sacrificial. Those in love sacrifice for the one that they love. You know, if you're thinking of of the sacrifice, sometimes that's sacrificing their time for the other person. Sometimes that's sacrificing their money. They trade their money for some object in the hope of giving it to, to the one that they love. That's what we typically identify with love in a human standpoint. The sacrifice of things that might be something we could keep for ourselves into the sacrifice in terms of giving them to the other person. Parents sacrifice for their children. But what are they sacrificing? Time. Time that parents spend on their children they could spend on themselves. Money. Objects. I can recall, my dad's not here today, but growing up, Uh, he he had the misfortune if you will of having two boys that were teenagers at the same time who were interested in baseball we played baseball seemingly every day and it didn't hit me till later that we didn't go on vacations for several years in a row of any kind because dad was always taking the limited amount of time off that he had from his job in order to leave work early to come and help practice baseball, get us to the ball field. He became a dad in many ways to a lot of the boys on the team, but he sacrificed his time, his time off for us. Well, that's what parents do when they love their children. Well, how does God, how did God show love? God is our father. How did God show love? At 1 John 3.16, this is not John 3.16, this is 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus gave up his own life for us. That means that Jesus gave his time, he gave any hopes of money that he might have had, or any money he might have had, or any ability to earn any money, Any objects he had, he left all that behind because he died so that he could show his love for us. Sacrifice. Love has to involve sacrifice, and it certainly does in terms of God loving us. Earlier in the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul had said that love is not selfish. We talked about that a moment ago, it does not insist upon its own rights you can't do that to me because, I can hear it now, right? I have rights, you can't do that to me. Well, in this world, you can divide people into two groups relatively easily by a lot of different slices and dices, but it seems to me this was also a true way to slice through two groups of people in the world. Those who always insist on their privileges those who always remember their responsibilities. Perhaps instead of focusing on what I am owed, maybe I look at more what my responsibilities are to other people. Those who are always thinking of what others owe them, you know, it's not right that this person treated me that way. They should have treated me better than that. They owe me, you owe me, whatever, right? Those kind of thoughts those who never forget perhaps what they owe to others. Which of these two groups defines a group that will show love for other people? I think it's pretty obvious. If I am thinking about what I owe other people because of what they've done for me, I will be a giving person. I will not be a selfish person. I will be showing love. If I'm thinking about my responsibilities to other people, I will be again thinking about love. Love also implies action. It implies action. Jesus obviously had action involved in the sacrifice of his life. Suppose you say love you, right? That's a phrase many people have said, love you. Imagine saying that to somebody who's sinking in quicksand without doing anything to help. Is that saying love you? Is that meaning love you? Of course not. That's always, this is a little off topic, but it's always Humorous to me, they call it quicksand because when it shows up in movies or TV, it seems to take forever to sink in quicksand. Why don't they call it slow sand or something like that? But if somebody's in trouble and you say, I love you, but you're unwilling to have any kind of action result from that to help the other person, do you really mean loving? No. Somebody's bleeding and you say, I love you without trying to stop the bleeding, Somebody's hungry and you say love you without trying to help their hunger. Somebody's cold and you don't take the time to try to do something to help. Love implies action. It does. First John 3.18 Let us not love in word or talk. Don't just say the words, but let us love in deed and in truth. The only way you really can show that you love somebody is not by just saying the right words, but it's by doing things about them. Don't tell me. Show me. But there are plenty of people, you could find people today who would say, I love you. You can find, find people that'll say, I love you. They'll tell you that all the time. It may be a lot tougher to find somebody who will show you. Love implies action. God showed us that he gave his son for you. He gave his son for me. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. That's certainly what Jesus did. He can't have any higher love than sacrifice shown through action. Love also demands obedience. John, First John five three, loving God means obeying His commands. When we obey God, we truly are showing that we in fact love God. Luke six forty six. This was part of the parable we studied recently on Wednesday night. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about saying, I love you, mom. And some moms might've responded, I sure wish you showed that a little more by your actions. Words are a lot cheaper than actions. And so love requires sacrifice, being a giving person. Love requires actions, doing something, not merely saying it. And many times love requires obedience as well. John 14, 23, 24. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So someone that's keeping the words of Jesus, doing what Jesus said. And again, it all hinges on two fairly easy things. We've said this before. It was last year's resolutions, loving God and loving our neighbor." Everything really falls into that. So if I'm not showing my love for God because I'm loving myself, if I'm not showing my love for my neighbor because I'm loving myself, I'm not going to be doing what Jesus has asked me to do. And Jesus says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So if I'm loving myself more than I'm loving God, more than I'm loving my neighbor, I'm not keeping the words of Jesus. Love should also fill the life of a Christian. If we're a follower of Jesus, if we're someone that says, I believe in Jesus and I follow him, I'm a member of God's family, where Jesus leads, I will follow him. That person should have love filling their life. 1 John 4, 9. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Love comes from God. That's why we should love one another. 1 John 4 19. We love because he first loved us. I think of the song Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible told me so. Have you noticed something? In the passages that we've used here so far this morning, where what book are a lot of these coming from? 1 yeah. John and John. 1 John and the Gospel of John. So I'd like to encourage you, look into the book of 1 John. You want to reassure yourself of the love that God, the love that God has for you, and the importance that love should be for all of us as it really should fill our life. That's kind of a homework assignment. Thumb through the Bible or on your phone until you find the book of 1 John. Spend some time reading through 1 John this week. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, four, let all that you do be done in love. That doesn't mean you're always necessarily nice either. Sometimes love requires being stern, confronting someone. You know, Someone that's engaged in sin, I'm not loving that person by not saying you really need to stop doing that. We're told that God chastens, God disciplines those that he loves. It's never pleasant for the moment I got disciplined a lot growing up. Those are not some of my most favorite words. <laughs> as a child, it really isn't. But if my parents had not loved me, they would have ignored the discipline that I needed, and I would have turned out very differently. Well, let all that you do be done in love. Do what's best for the other person. And if we are thinking of what's best for the other person, we're going to be showing love for the other person, and that will mean we're doing as well what Paul suggests for you. 1 John 4.8, again, 1 John. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if I'm not showing love, if I don't seem to understand what love is, I, can't, I, I don't know God. I'm saying I don't know God, even if I have, by my actions, even if by my words, I have said that I, I know God. 1 John 4.16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Love's a pretty important concept in the Bible, a pretty important concept for those who were followers of Jesus. My favorite verse in the entire Bible, John 3:16. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life god loved us so much that he gave his only son and i love this passage from romans that says god shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us jesus didn't come and die for this group of people who were already perfect who were already showing love. He came and died when we were in the deepest dirt and filth we can imagine. Because we were completely lost in sin. I've I've seen some pretty dirty looking trucks, you wonder where they've driven from, right? Used to be the thing, pickup trucks. It wasn't a good truck, it had dirt flung all over. I've seen some individuals that look like they've messed around in the mud for a good while. Sin's a lot dirtier. Worst dirt. The problem is sometimes you can't see it on the outside. God sees the dirt of sin, and it's been on every one of us. Before Jesus came, the entire world, as it were, had been messing around in the ugliest dirt of sin possible. While we were dirty like this. While we were lost While we were engaged in sin He loved us enough That even when we were In the middle of all that dirt And mire and sin He sent his son to die So that we would have hope So that we could have faith So that we could experience Love that God has for us Jesus died for us Do we love God enough To live for him He died. He's not asking me to die. He's asking me to live for him. And then one last slide. I think it's really important I want everyone here to focus on this. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what your month has been like or even what you think your life has been like to this point. But God loves you. He loves me, but I'm not worried about me right now. God loves you. God's. If you were the only person on the face of the earth who had ever made a mistake, who had ever sinned, he would have sent his son to die for you. God's love is revealed to us in Jesus by sending his son to live and to die to give us that opportunity. God even calls us to love our enemies, as hard as that is. God's love should inspire us to love our neighbors with If you're not a member of God's family Jesus died to give you that opportunity And you have that opportunity to come and live for God Today You have that opportunity to change So my final question this morning is Do you know Jesus? If not, please come As we stand and sing